Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coffee and cream with Rogers and Benning on Hale Varsity Radio. Covering Nebraska football and recruiting for 24-7 sports. Here is Mike J. Schaefer. Yeah, that's a grown-ass man right there. Mike Schaefer. I don't know. There could be bacon involved. Mike Schaefer. I appreciate it, guys. Thank Brian Edwards for me. Here is Mike Schaefer. We, we could do that. I mean, we, I've done it in the past where, like, so-and-so, we did this at Baylor where, like, so-and-so was going to kick 45 and in, and this guy had a better leg, so he was going to kick further out. I don't see that right now, but any, I mean, I, I don't have a, a total handle. They're both, they're both capable of making kicks from a pretty far distance. So what I'm doing right now is just quantifying who's, you know, it's kind of like a, a graphic of who's better from what this. But honestly, right now, I'm not even into that part of it because it's still kind of early for me. I'm just collecting data, and I'm just trying to collect data and see who's making more kicks from whatever distance it is. That's that bully. Talking at practice yesterday, fall camp in full swing. Just over a week now of uh, practice of the team being in Selleck. A pretty good mini documentary was released too on um, on YouTube yesterday uh, by the Nebraska video team. So that was uh, that was pretty uh, pretty interesting. I, I have some thoughts. We'll we'll do that tomorrow as well. We'll get into that more, but. Uh, Without stopping here, let's go to Mike Schaefer. Schaefer joining us on Tuesdays now for the foreseeable future. Schaefer, good morning. You look great, man. I uh, I appreciate it. For for those coffee and cream historians, this is now my third time slot uh, <laughs> since the show's inception. Only you um, would keep track of that. This is uh, this is going to be a trivia question, I'm sure, down the line. So I just you know I want people to. To, to keep that in mind. Like Tommy Hill, I'm going to bounce around a little bit, but I'm going to find <laughs> my way home, and people are going to regard me as a leader someday. Okay, Tommy Hill, what's his home? Is it, is it in the secondary? His home's in the secondary. I mean, he's, a, he's an incredibly gifted athlete. I also really would like to see him get as many opportunities as he can as a returner. I mean, he's a guy with the ball in his hands that I think is a fascinating player. He's a great high school player from Florida. It obviously didn't go well for him last year, but I think there's I think there's some really interesting stories in Nebraska's secondary. I've decided I'm going to start calling them the second chance secondary because this is basically what Nebraska has. They have a lot of guys that were overlooked as recruits. They have a lot of guys that showed up last year in 2022 that didn't really amount to much in Deshaun Singleton and Omar Brown and Tommy Hill. And these guys are all going to be depended upon in 2023. And it seems, at least taking Evan Cooper at his word or Isaac Gifford or whichever Nebraska representative we would like to attribute things to, uh, it seems like they're all having very good fall camps and good springs and putting themselves in position to really help out Nebraska's secondary. And I, I think the secondary is really interesting. Like I said, there's a lot of different kind of underdog narratives that can be found in this thing. And I, I think that's 
plays into how Evan Cooper wants those guys to have a little bit of a, a chip on their shoulder as they're out there. Shafe, if I really pressed you on it, who would you say are your five starting defensive backs when we roll up to Minnesota? Okay, so are we counting the Rover as as one of the defensive backs? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's going to be Isaac Gifford. Yep. Uh, and then we're going to look at Quentin Newsom. Yep. And then after that, it gets a little bit more challenging. But Malcolm Hartzog's got to be in there in some capacity, I suspect. Um, after that, you know, you have your safety spots. I'm just going to throw a couple guesses out there, and I think guys are going to rotate a lot. I think Corey Collier is going to probably be one of your starters or at least playing quite a bit uh, early on. And then, um, you know, after that, I mean, you kind of get into the Omar Brown, Deshaun Singleton territory. I just don't know that we're going to see Marcus Buford or Marquise Buford uh, for a little bit yet, um, you know, really until he's, he's able to get healthy. But they they have plenty of options, you know, in the secondary. And so Evan Cooper – can really kind of mix and match as he desires. So there's a there's a good chance that when, uh, and I don't know who would be doing this, if someone decides to play this interview back, you know, right after the starters are announced for the Minnesota game, maybe I'm only going to get like one or two of these right. But, uh, you know, I'm putting the effort out there, and that's what counts. Mike Schaefer, Nebraska football and recruiting for 24-7 sports at Mike J. Schaefer with us on Coffee and Cream. Schaefer, you've covered uh, Nebraska football for a long time now. How is this fall camp? felt different to you than the ones Nebraska has been um, over the, let's just say the last five years, what stood out to you where you find yourself saying, finally, they're doing blank. Uh, I don't know that there's a lot of that. I mean, I don't, I don't have enough access to really pretend like I know that things are massively different. And we, obviously you see the videos and you watch stuff and I haven't watched the full uh, 30 minute video that they released yesterday, but you obviously with, they're attempting to, to kind of build the team camaraderie that you would get in an NFL training camp by doing the dorms thing. Um, I really like the way that Ed Foley just sort of went about talking about the kicking competition. I mean, I he just sort of outlined it as I don't really care that Tristan Alvano made five kicks in Memorial stadium last November. I don't really care that Timmy bleak road has kicked in college football games before all that matters to me is what's happening right in front of my face. And I kind of think that's the mentality that a lot of these assistants sort of have like we as as reporters and media and then of course the fans come in with our own baggage about this team and these players and everything else but at, for for the coaches it all gets to be fresh right like all the way down to ed foley and i had a conversation to the side yesterday and he was talking about when he first got to nebraska one of his jobs was to just go through and watch everybody and see athletically if they could be better uh, as kick returners or punt returners or, you know, on the special teams and then what they've used. And it's just everything because of that just feels fresh. And so what I guess I appreciate, and this has almost nothing to do with what they're attempting to do, it's just that everything has a fresh eyes on it. Like people get to start over, you know, we, we get to view players in different lights. We get to view, uh, you know, position groups in different lights. It's a fresh start. And so I guess more than anything, I appreciate that. Now, that doesn't win you games when it comes to, to the actual season. Um, so without being able to, to sit in there at practice and really tell you this is different and that is different, I appreciate that everything sort of has a fresh feel to it. So at the very least, we're not having the same stagnant conversations for the fifth offseason in a row. Shafe, you mentioned the fresh look that the coaches get at the roster. And, you know, I maybe I'm reading too much into this, and I guess that's my question for you, is – it seems like 
when Matt Rule and the staff got here that they were maybe a little surprised that the talent level was better than they expected? That's kind of the vibe that I get when I hear them talking about a lot of these position groups, whether it's, you know, Matt Rule calling uh, Gifford an NFL type player um, or, or any other various examples. It, it feels like to me they saw the record from last year and the last few years and expected a certain level of talent. And then they got here and maybe were pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. And look, I mean, Nebraska's won what four games, four games, three games, five or five games. I mean, so it's not like they've been stacking up much wins. It's not like they've been sending guys off to the NFL and mass. So I could see from the outside looking in that you wouldn't think that this team has as much talent as it might, but I don't think talent is what held Nebraska back for, five, six years. I mean, they've just had poor coaching. They've been put in poor spots. They've done poor things. They've made very questionable decisions, whether it was the previous coaching staff or players on the field or whatever. And so, you know, with a fresh set of coaches, with a fresh approach, you have an opportunity to move past some of that. And I do believe that Matt Rule inherited a roster that can go win games in 2023. And beyond that, I think this coaching staff believes that they can win games at a higher level in 2024 so 2023 is about let's get some of the rust out of the way. Let's get some of these sort of awkward moments in a transition out of the way. Let's start stacking days for 2024 and let's win some games. Let's go to a bowl game. But our, the eye on the prizes for 2024, let's get Jeff Sims to the point where he comes back and he can be one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten and we can take a big step forward. I mean, so they're, I think they are pleasantly surprised by what they have in front of them but they still have to go and make it matter. And, and that's the next step. But I, I certainly have always felt, and, and maybe it's just my natural, you know, inclination. I felt like there was plenty of talent for Mike Riley when he got here, when, when Bo Pelini uh, was, was the head coach. Now that was a different roster because it was pretty, you know, top heavy veteran talent, mm-hmm. less maybe uh, underneath, but then, you know, with, with Mike Riley and Scott Frost, same thing. I felt like there was an ability to, to quickly get here and win football games. I feel the same way for Matt Rule after what he inherited from Scott Frost. You know, Mike, I've been thinking uh, and compiling a few reports regarding schedule predictions, and one that really stuck out to me the other day, I came across it last week, was if Nebraska was to lose week one to Minnesota, so they had a loss on the schedule there, but also had Nebraska winning seven games this season do you think there's a real shot still a solid chance at winning seven if a loss comes in week one to minnesota it would mean nebraska would have to do really well in the month of october right like you would have to have wins against illinois and purdue uh as well as northwestern so you i mean i think they have three games in october so to me you're probably looking at a three and two start there followed by a three and oh october followed by getting one of those games in november like i i think that's sort of the I think that would kind of have to be the recipe um, in my mind, but I, and maybe you sort of look at it like not just October, but you extend, you know, in between the Illinois and the Maryland game, they got win of them or something. I, I don't know. I mean, so it, it's a possibility, but I think that obviously, you know, this is going to sound really stupid and I kind of intended to, but <laughs> the easiest way to get to seven wins is to win your first game. So you only need six more. and so um you know yeah i i sort of i I sort of just look at it like this minnesota game to me is is pivotal 
for all sorts of reasons. And even if they don't win it, if you go out and you play well and you sort of prove that you're in it at the very end, the confidence boost that they're going to get off of that is, is pretty big. Now, the reverse is true. If they go and they get the doors blown off by a Minnesota team that is equally as rebuilding right now as what Nebraska might be seem to be doing, mm. then you're going to have a ton of questions going into all of it. So a lot of it is just going to be how does a veteran coach navigate that feeling after that first game? If they win it, can you quickly get them ready to go to Colorado and then everything that follows? If they lose it, can you get them to salvage what they can out of that game, flush it, turn around and win the next three in your non-conference? I mean, it's a it's a, it's a bigger challenge than I think people might think. We're talking with Mike Schaefer of Nebraska 24-7. Um, Schaefer, we're a week into fall camp. We haven't got to see them a ton, but we have heard from both coaches and players a decent amount so far. Have you felt like you've learned anything through the first seven or so days of fall camp? Uh, not really. I mean, I I felt like I got confirmation that my apprehension about Teddy Prohaska was well-placed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know on this show in the past, uh, I've talked about how those conversations I had early in the in the summer about, hey, don't just assume that Teddy Prohaska is going to be the guy at left tackle. Like, this might take longer than you would think, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I, I think that's kind of where we're at. So I, I, I think the apprehension that I had about the offensive line is still there and it's maybe even emboldened a little bit because I don't love the idea of Turner Corcoran yet again being put into a left tackle role that's not a good fit uh, for him and it hasn't worked well in the past. Um, beyond that, though, a lot of it is just Matt Rule saying very pleasant things about players that I already like. So I don't know how much I'm learning or how much is just being reinforced. But, you know, a a lot of it is just like, hey, Matt Rule said this. And it's like, hey, I kind of think that. (laughs) I I don't want to – I don't think I've learned a a ton at this point in the juncture. But I also sort of approached this uh, fall camp with the idea that I don't think the staff is just going to be giving away a lot that how they feel truly. I I think, you know, when asked directly, they're going to give answers. But I think you're going to get a lot of Marcus Satterfield-type answers that, you know, words are said, and then you go back and you listen to it, and you're like, there's really nothing in this. And so I, I think we're going to get a lot of that in fall camp. Shave, we uh, spent a lot of time talking about conference realignment yesterday and a little bit today with the news that came out with the really early talks with Cal and Stanford to the ACC and what that could look like. You know, it's so early to predict, but you've got a creative and complicated mind. So I think you'd be a great person to ask. Where do you envision this whole thing going? Where's the cap? If it ever got screwed on the bottle, we like to call conference realignment. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like until you get to the point where you're basically down to just two mega conferences, it's all just going to be up in the air. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that I believe that the ACC can salvage itself enough um, that it's going to to force this thing into four conferences. I like what the Big 12 has attempted to do, but ultimately, as you look at the list of those schools, do you see like a real difference maker in there emerging? Um, you know, you you just don't you don't have it. And I look at the Big Ten and the SEC as collections of of mega brands and the sec more than the big 10, because in recent memory, those teams have played better. But uh, if we're talking just strictly from a helmet standpoint, it feels like we're, we're headed to a big sec and a big, big 10. And then some sort of like reliance between those two that you can get 
a similar set of rules to operate under. I mean, that's what a lot of this is, is we've got to get to the point where you have two different sides playing under the same set of rules, which has never been a thing that's happened in college football beyond just what the college game rules are. But every way from building your program to the off-season stuff to everything is sort of just left up to the discretion of these conferences until you get to the point where there's sort of a, uh, you know, an alliance, I guess, or an understanding between how you want this thing to look. I think we're just going to be in that kind of mode where I likened it yesterday to, you know, you move into a neighborhood that's full of new construction and everything, you know, sounds like it's going to be great in 2027 whenever you're done with the construction, but you don't know how long that's going to take. And you don't know how many nails you're going to drive over as you're driving through your neighborhood and then you're going to blow a tire. You don't know what this is going to look like. And new construction in a neighborhood is messy and it's loud and it's annoying. And you just want to get to the end of it. And that's how I feel about conference realignment. Like I'm no longer interested in these two teams are going to do this because I don't care. Let's get these 40 teams to figure out where they're going to go and how this is going to look. And then let's move on from it. Because I think the fans caught in the middle are sort of just going to start tuning this out at a really high level. And then you have to figure out how you keep college football interesting when you have 60-some teams playing for 12-some spots. And, you know, you could have a Nebraska game in November where they're 7-2 and two and they have no real path at the playoffs. And it doesn't matter. And they're playing a team that's 6-3. and three, And it's just like it buried on a TV. I just don't. I don't love where this is headed, but it feels like that's where this is headed. And so I'd rather just get there earlier than have to sit through this sort of unhappy period in the middle. Shafe, not to play devil's advocate here or anything, but if Nebraska's sitting at seven and two and they're playing somebody at six and three with no clear path to the playoff, how is that any different than where we sit right now? Um, it's probably not, but I guess the idea is that all we've done in the last decade is just elevate the playoff to the point that it superseded everything else in college sports. And so I just wonder if you get to the point where now that's even magnified and you're, you're sort of in this sort of conference realm where it's like, you're fighting for what 13th place in a conference or 12th place in a conference of 30 some teams. And yeah, you're up for half, but it's just, I, I don't know what we're going to do with this. Like, I just, you know, I, I think you get to the point where if you have that many teams in a conference, you're diluting the overall quality of, of what you want anyways. And then you're setting up questions about how you're going to determine who's the best team in your conference when you don't play a schedule that allows you to play all these teams. Like it just, it all just leads to more conversations that get answered how through ESPN's playoff committee through, you know, voting, through a, another formula. Like, it's just, I think you get further from the idea that you're going to crown actual college football champions and more into kind of a crapshoot. And that's not necessarily bad. That can be incredibly entertaining. But I just don't know if that's good for the overall product of, of college football. And in an age where, you know, it's increasingly easier for all of us to just sit at home to consume this sport, I don't know how you draw fans. Like when these games become even less important, uh, what does that look like in October and November when the weather's bad? Memorial Stadium. What does that mm. look like when you're Trev Alberts and you've got a ninety thousand seat stadium that you're trying to bring down, and suddenly you know getting to eighty five percent capacity is a real question. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of sort of that we don't know how this is going to look and how people are going to react to it. Speaking of uh, people reacting to this decision, this decision shape, I've spoken to a lot of athletes in the other Olympic sports 
um, that will be affected or or hypothetically based on the sport that they played in college would have been affected by a move like this. And I thought it was interesting hearing a bunch of different perspectives and more times than not, I think I heard more the negative than the positive, but I did hear some spin the positive and how, how it could work. Cause I kind of wanted to take a, a um, all encompassing approach to my questions. And I'll get into that uh, with them or with those takes tomorrow, as I teased on the show earlier on, but I kind of wanted to ask you if you've heard any reactions from athletes about the changes, or if you even had thoughts of your own on how this does affect those other smaller sports in regards to the travel and the wear and tear that it will now bring that they may be traveling across the country to, you know, play a game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly going to enhance the amount of time that these athletes spend in uh, airplanes or buses or whatever. And so and less time on campus, less time in class. And while people might roll their eyes at that, a lot of these people aren't going professional in the sport that they're in. And so, you know, if you're a uh, engineering major or whatever, and you happen to also be an athlete, like more time away from the classroom is going to be difficult for you. But right. there's, there's ways Robbie that, you know. talked about that off air a little bit yesterday. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's ways that you can mitigate that. And Nebraska's got a great athletic department that really puts their – their athletes first and foremost. So they're going to, they're going to work on that in a way that, that everybody will. I mean, I think, you know, I haven't had a lot of conversations with athletes that are not football players about this, but I think a lot of it is just like, what does it, you know, do for my schedule? Where am I going to, to be at, at this certain time? The nice thing for Nebraska, at least right now, is you've already made this transition. Uh, so now it's just a matter of like, okay, so Oregon, Washington, UCLA, USC, you're going to go to the West Coast. That affects Nebraska less than it does for Rutgers and Maryland and Penn State. And so I, I think at least from a very Nebraska-centric standpoint, it's not a huge deal right at this moment. Um, but I would imagine for your your greater fringes of your conference, the further far-flung places, like, you know, you're, you're USC baseball and you're going to go spend a weekend in Piscataway. And, uh, you know, then you got to turn around, you fly back home after that cross country, and then you're going to turn around, you got to fly to play at Penn State. Like, it's just, uh, you know, scheduling is going to be really difficult. And there's going to be no shortage of teams that feel like they get screwed uh, because there's no easy answers for any of it. Shafe, is it possible that, you know, you mentioned this here, how Nebraska's kind of already made this move on the front edge of all this. Is it possible that the reason I still sort of enjoy this is because, between Nebraska already being in the Big Ten, Creighton's obviously conference realignment was worked out well for them. Is that I? It doesn't affect what we do really that much. I mean, is because I still kind of enjoy watching all the machinations of, of how everything works. Yeah, and and I don't know that it's unfair for people to get enjoyment out of it. It's like fun, you know, what if fodder, and I I understand that. It's more so that like I I've sort of reached a point when. Oklahoma and Texas and USC and UCLA both left. It's just like, this is just a precursor to more moves. Like I, my impatience is the issue here more than anything else. Like if, if we're going to see more, let's just get this thing over with. But, um, you know, I, I think Nebraska being done and, and Creighton, you know, being done with, with the big E should allow fans of those respective programs to at least feel comfortable that they have a home. And in both situations, they have a home that aren't, that isn't going anywhere and so you know it's it's easy to feel a lot better if you're a nebraska fan about your future in the college football landscape 
than it certainly would be to be Washington State or to be Oregon State or really, to be honest, some of those Big 12 schools. Because I think that's sort of what happens next. Like, can that band stay together and prove that they have value or is it slowly going to fall apart too? Shafe, always good stuff with you. We appreciate your time. And uh, next week, I guess we'll see you Wednesday at 730 since we're just bouncing around time. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Well, have your people reach out to, to <laughs> me, I guess, since it's just me. I'm a single operation. <laughs> no, we'll see you next Tuesday. Appreciate you, man. All right, guys. Have a good one. That's Mike Schaefer. When we come back, uh, we will get into course conditions with Jim Nedro here at the Pinnacle Bank Championship.